Hey there, it's a joy to speak to you today. And I want to speak to you today on hope in hardship. There is an old Eastern fable of a king who was trying to teach his servant an important lesson about humility in good times and hope in bad times. So this king asked his servant to perform a seemingly impossible task. He asked his servant to find him a magic ring, one that if a sad man wore it, he would become happy. And if a happy man wore it, he would become sad. The servant traveled far and wide to search for this ring, but could not find anything like it. So the king decided himself to go to a jeweler and design a ring with an inscription in Hebrew in three words, Gam Zeya Avor, which means this too shall pass. His servants marveled at the phrase because it was true. Gam Zeya Avor, whether you are happy or sad, in all times and at all situations, this too shall pass. And for the rest of the king's life, he never took off the ring and would sometimes be found saying these words to himself, this too shall pass. I wonder if you have sometimes longed for perspective in times of pain. Maybe in good moments, you may have had this sense of fleetingness that it will all end soon, that you worry about loss, about what you have. Perhaps you are in a difficult season right now and you're longing for hope, for a way to see through the mess, for any sense of good to come out of this place. How do we enjoy good times with humility and endure hardship with hope. As we look beyond the cross of Good Friday and the empty tomb of Easter, as we go on our journey for what it means to become followers of Christ, I want to share with you today a simple message. And this message is this, we can endure hardship with hope because Christ suffered hardship to be our hope. I want to read to you from 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 7. The words written by Peter, a disciple of Christ, in a letter to the early church. And it says this in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Amen. What does it mean to be Easter people? People who put our trust in the Jesus who took our sin on the cross and defeated death at the resurrection. Peter tells us three things about the hope that we have in hardship. That this hope is number one, living. That this hope is number two, eternal. And that this hope is number three, genuine. Firstly, as we read earlier, Ours is a living hope. In verse 3, Peter writes, In his great mercy, he, God, has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But what does it mean to have a living hope? Between 1965 and 1973, Admiral Jim Stockdale, a soldier from the US fighting in the Vietnam War, was taken as a prisoner of war in the Hua Lo prison, notoriously named the Hanoi Hilton. It was named this way for its miserable conditions and torture. And Jim Stockdale spent more than seven years in prison. He was tortured more than 20 times. In addition to trying to stay alive himself, Jim was known for helping others to survive. 
And when he was interviewed years later about who didn't make it out, he replied, oh, that's easy, the optimists. He said that the optimists would believe that they would be out by Christmas and Christmas would come and go. They would believe that they'd be out by Easter and Easter would come and go. And the years would tick by just like that. And eventually, he said, they died of a broken heart. And then Admiral Jim said this important words. He said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. You see, hope is not a blind optimism because if it is, that kind of hope dies easily. And as Christ followers, we are a people of hope. The world often says, don't get your hopes up or you'll be sorely disappointed. And maybe you've learned that lesson before. Maybe you're afraid to hope today. But the Bible says, get your hopes up. And not only that, we are also meant to be a people known for our hope. But notice this. This is a different kind of hope that we don't conjure by human effort. Verse 3 says, He has given us new birth into a living hope. We were born into this hope. Now, nobody brags about being born. I've never heard someone say, you know, I hustled so much, I did so much, woke up at 5 a.m. every day to be born. It's too late. You were, you were loved already before you could even try to earn that love. And God, in His great mercy, loved us so much that He gave us everything so that we might be born into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And because our hope is not an effort that we conjure, but a gift that we receive, this hope is not rooted in the wishes of men, but in the word of God. The former is sure to fail, but the latter is a gift never to fade. But why is it living hope? Peter later says in 1 Peter 3 verse 22, that this Jesus whom we put our hope in overcame death and has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. Jesus is alive today. He is our living hope. You know, it's a remarkable thing when hope is dashed. The same crowds that cried out on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, save us now, cried out later in bitterness, crucify Him when He didn't meet their expectations for the Savior that they were hoping for. And on that Good Friday, when Jesus died, the crowds thought their supposed Messiah was killed. And so were their hopes and dreams for salvation. It was bad news all around. This reminds me of a joke about a man who got a phone call from his doctor one day. And the doctor said to the man, Sir, I have some bad news and some worse news. The bad news is that you only have 24 hours left to live. That's bad news, the patient replies. What could be worse? The doctor answers, I've been trying to reach you since yesterday. But the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Jesus didn't just come to change the bad news. He makes us new. Jesus being alive is our guarantee that no matter what our sins are, no matter our past shame or our present guilt, the accounts have been settled. The debt has been paid. It is finished. We are made righteous by Him. And if Jesus were dead, so would our hopes, but because He is alive, ours is a living hope guaranteed by the resurrection of Christ. You see, the opposite of living hope is a dead end. And the readers of this letter would have felt like their hopes were fading, like they were in a dead end. Peter was writing to early Christians in Asia who had to flee their homelands because of persecution for living out Christian lives. But notice how he addressed them. At the start of the letter, 
we read this phrase, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout. Peter was reminding them, in tough times, remember that this is not your home. You are exiles. If you feel like an alien, that's because you really are. You don't always fit fully in this world because you're not yet home. But take heart, you will be one day. John Stott once said, we live and die, Christ died and lived. And because he lives, even what seems like the most dead end, the most final thing ever, death itself doesn't have the final say. The author Boekner wrote, the resurrection of Jesus means the worst thing is never the last thing. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. So our hope is living. And secondly, in verse four, our hope is eternal. In 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 6, we're told two things. That number one, we should expect suffering in this life. And number two, that we can have an unshakable perspective of hope no matter what happens. We read that we are born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You know, in Christ, we are a people marked by hope, regardless of life's circumstances. And because of that, anything that can die, anything that can be spoiled, anything that can fade is only an experience for a little while. Perspective is the filter by which we distinguish between what is temporary and what is permanent. Perspective tells apart between what is for a little while and what is forever. You see, worry happens when we let go of what is permanent and hold on to what is temporary. But hope is found when we hold on to what is permanent and let go what is temporary. Jesus said in Matthew 24 verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You see, where God is concerned, what is coming is always greater than what is now. And he calls you to trust his identity and not your reality. We're only capable of putting our trust in one thing at a time. And the choice before us today is this, do you trust in your own perception or do you trust in his permanence? I have here with me two glasses of water. And you know, one of these glasses came from a lake and one of them came from the filter. Now here's the thing, this is where it gets really tricky. I can't tell which glass is which. They both look pretty clear to me. One is fine to drink, but the other will make me sick. And that's the limitation of our perception. We can so often look at the glasses of our life and think perhaps one is better or one isn't. But can we really be sure if our reality is based on just perception? The author of Hebrews says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we don't see. The athlete Doug Baldwin once said, the greatest tragedy for any human being is going through their entire lives believing the only perspective that matters is their own. Now the world may claim what you see is what you get, but our faith believes some of the most valuable things you can ever receive in life are not necessarily what you can see. When the bank account runs low, when your child is sick and you don't know what to do, when that business venture fails, when that relationship doesn't work out, when what we're looking at is bad. Now, I can't really see which one is the, the dirty water. But sometimes our reality is so clear that you can pretty much see, yes, this is really dirty. And sometimes our reality is bad. 
Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 6, you will suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And this is no longer perception, but experience. This is dirt and sand from outside. It's full of what can make me seriously sick. And there will be moments in our lives when we don't need to have a magnifying glass to know whether that glass is bad. It is. And if I were to drink this right now, I would probably have all sorts of terrible conditions. You may see me rushing to the men's washroom and only coming out three days later. But that's why we have to learn to see our reality through something else. And Peter here reminds us to see our conditions in light of God's character. Put your hope not in human perception, but in God's permanence. This is a filter. They call it a life straw. It's a great invention, actually. It saved many li lives. It's avoided many toilet trips. And what it does is it filters out 99.9999% of anything that's dangerous in water. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to use it for this obviously dirty glass of water. I have to take a few sips first. And the point, the point is, it's not really about what you go through. It's more about what you filter it through. It's not about what you see in your perceptions, but what God orchestrates in His sovereignty. The King is on the throne. Because for all that is temporary around us, we can say this, this too shall pass. But our hope is eternal because our King's rule is, that does not pass. It is everlasting. Everything in this world that can perish, spoil of fate will pass. But our resurrected hope cannot die. It cannot be spoiled. It cannot fade. So our hope is living. It never dies. And our hope is eternal. It never fades. But lastly, our hope is genuine. It doesn't spoil. You know, one of the most uh, surprising things about this letter from Peter is that Peter says our suffering can result in proving the genuineness of our faith. So we don't have to confuse discomfort for danger because sometimes tension can reveal the truth. When I married Jacinta, I was given a new name. Uh, Jacinta comes from a tribe called the Lunbawangs and uh, they come from the highlands of Borneo. And when I married her, I soon realized that I was really marrying into a tribe as well. I would be one of the tribe. So on our wedding day, Jacinta's grandfather, Apu Tagal, he stood up before everyone and he announced my new name. This was a really special moment. It was an induction into the tribe and the name would be sacred. Apu Tagal had prayed for it. And I began to wonder, you know, what would it be? Would it be Balang, the tiger, or Agong, the king, or Singa, the lion? What would it be? And the moment came. Apu Tagal took the mic. He announced to everyone that from this moment, whenever I was among the people, I would be called to this new name. Everyone waited in suspense. And then he said, Abel's name will be Achang. Achang? Is that a dumpling? Was I just called that because I'm a Chinese dude? You know, there was so much laughter in the hall that I could see there was a slight discomfort in the air. The upward thing that my friends were mocking that sacred name, could he see that I was a bit disappointed? And in that awkwardness of that moment, Apu Tagao began to explain the meaning of Achang. It meant bright, a name to match Jacinta's name, Ganit, which means lightning. And then the hall went, ah. You know, truth was revealed in the tension. Now, this is a silly example, but in a much greater way, Peter is saying discomfort and even suffering can reveal deep truths to us. 
In verse 7, it says, These sufferings have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. And here the analogy is that of a fire. A fire can either burn or refine. In fact, it does both. And the analogy here distinguishes between the constant nature of fire and trials and the variable nature of our response to it. The same sun that melts the ice can harden the clay. Suffering can either crush us and harden us or refine us and make us genuine disciples. And it's not always immediately easy to see while we're in the suffering. You know, when I was uh, 16 years old, I faced what I now understand to be described by others as the dark night of the soul. I had, until this point, been a fairly happy-go-lucky guy. Uh, I did quite well in my studies. I was generally quite liked by many friends. I was doing well with all my friendships. The teachers told me I was being spotted to be the potential hate prefect at school. So things were going quite well and nice for a 16-year-old. But one day I fell sick and the disease kept me away from school for a few weeks. It was a painful time in my life. It changed both how my friends saw me, but also changed how I look. And it meant that my best mates distanced themselves from me. And while it changed how I looked, it changed also how I felt more. And, you know, I remember dreading every day that came. Uh, I disliked even the sunlight in that period because it reminded me of my new reality. From being some kind of Mr. Popular, I was now a loner. I seriously hated the thought of meeting others. My grades tanked, my attendance dropped, and I was always trying to think of some excuse to avoid school. And you know, if I'm honest, in that period, I was mostly angry at God. I felt I had gotten the raw end of, you know, the deal. I thought I was a good kid. I was actively serving in church. I wanted to contribute to the world, but God had somehow let me down. One morning, while getting ready for school, my mother heard me breaking down in the room. And on the other side of the door, she wept along with me. She said, Abel, I wish I can take what you have so you don't have to go through it. But I can't. But I promise you it will pass one day. You'll get through this. In that season of my life, my vision for the end of whatever suffering I faced was dim. I couldn't see through. My, my perception was limited. If I'm honest, I wasn't interested in seeing anything else as well. But all these years later, with the benefit of time and hindsight, I look back and see that that was one of the most beautiful moments in my life when I had some of the most honest conversations I've ever had with God and when He felt nearer than I have ever known. And it changed who I was. It broke my heart, yes, but it also drew me closer to God. It gave me a new way to see others who are also on the peripheries of life, who also had some kind of quiet struggle or deep pain that no one saw. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And Paul wrote in Romans 5 that we can be so sure of our hope in Christ that we can even boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And that hope does not put us to shame. And this is why Peter says you can rejoice. Any discomfort or trial clarifies our focus and purifies our hope. In moments of pain, we soon realize that there's either no hope at all or there is true hope found only in the permanent places. 
The psalmist knew this very well. He knew that God was his living hope saying, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. He knew God as his eternal hope. His love endures forever. He knew God as his genuine hope. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. When your hope is genuine, you begin to recognize the fleeting nature of what is temporary. This too shall pass. But you also begin to embrace the eternal nature of what is permanent. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will remain. You no longer need to understand the world through the words of others, but through the word of God. And this hope, unshakable, irreplaceable, is greater in worth than gold. Jesus is our living, eternal, and genuine hope. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can endure hardship with hope because Christ suffered hardship to be our hope. Amen. So why don't right now, wherever we are, I want to just invite you to raise your hands in anticipation and in waiting for what God can do in our lives right now. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We pray, come Holy Spirit. We wait for you. And just receive from God right now. No matter where you are in your life right now, whether you are in a time of goodness, where you are growing in your humility about abundance, or maybe you're in a time of hardship. And this is a season where God is growing your hope in hardship. I want to pray this prayer for you right now. Jesus, we thank you that we can endure hardship because you suffered hardship to be our hope. And today, we declare that you're our living hope. We rely on you, we trust you, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, 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 oh